0: We are talking about our church being reborn and it is no secret, the secret is out. Something has happened in my life actually over this last month that has been profound. Um, Just God is bringing different and He's revisiting me with old visions and I'm just thankful for this season and I'm just praying for more, Um, uh, a deeper place that I would find in Him and that I would never be content and just static, and that I'd always dive deeper. And I pray that for our church and for, for each of you too. Amen? I uh, was preparing the message for this Sunday. And as I had talked about last week, I just gave this overview of what City Chapel being reborn would look like. And I told you that we'd spend some time in Matthew 25, and we'd actually make our way even to, to Matthew 24. And so I'm going to work backwards And today we're in Matthew 25 talking about Jesus' teaching on the final judgment towards the end of that chapter starting from 31. And I had decided on a sermon title, Open Heart, Uh, Uh, Not Eyes. And I was thinking about what that meant and I did not forward that title to the praise team because I thought that they would take the route of... Singing, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. All right. It's just kind of cliche, you know, it's like title, song. All right, I get it. All right. It's very easy connection, right? And so I didn't forward them the title and I just kind of gave them one song that I wanted to sing. We'll actually sing that after uh, the message today. And as I was coming to church today, I was coming with Jacob and Jenny was going to bring Christopher. We're walking down the stairs into the laundry area, so we're going to get into the garage. And Jacob starts singing a song. Guess what song he starts to sing? I got 10 seconds of it before he caught me. singing the entire way. and I was thinking, number one, where did you learn this song? And number two, you're singing it this week. And it was just a great confirmation for me that this was actually what God wanted to share today. And I got my phone out. I was trying to fumble. That I was, I was, I was a blanket. I was trying to like hide as I was doing it, right? But he caught me. He caught me. But um, <laughs> The message title today, Open Heart, Not Eyes, is our message. We're in Matthew 25, verse 31. And we'll read through verse 40, and we'll reference uh, the latter part, uh, the, the end verses of the chapter as well. Here is somewhat of a premise of this message. Too often we live with our eyes open but heart closed. Is that a truth statement in your life? That as you think about how you live, your eyes are open or you'd be fumbling over everything, stubbing your toe. So your eyes are open, but how often do we find ourselves surprised by the needs that surface around us? And we've traveled certain spaces and places and we realize we were looking the entire time. But just because the eyes were open, it did not mean my heart was receptive to it. The Bible talks about, let him who has ears hear. And he's not talking about the actual vocal things. He's talking about the inner things. And in that same way, how many of us look out with our eyes, but fail to actually see what is in front of us? We're in Matthew 25. If you could take out your Bible, if you are there, I will read starting from verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him. What a scene that is going to be. One of the prayers that I have is that I'm alive when that happens. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean... And we're talking about beyond six flags or anything you can ever experience thrill-wise. We're talking about the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, coming in glory, splitting the skies, riding on a horse, sword in his hand, radiant angels surrounding him. You can imagine a choir of a million people all singing in tune together. Ah, You know, and Jesus riding. I mean, what a scene that will be. I want to be alive for that. I want to be alive for that. That would be amazing. Wouldn't it, Mimi? Yeah? Well, that's what Jesus is talking about. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And so now we're talking about the end, the consummation of history. He's going to sit on that throne and every single one of the nations is going to be gathered before Him. Now that would be a scene, right? You've been in packed stadiums before and what a great awe-inspiring scene that would be. But we're talking about every nation of the earth, whether suspended in the air or in a, on a huge field, we're talking about every nation being represented before Him. And He will separate one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right, the goats on His left, and the king will say to those on His right, "He's looking there, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry. and You gave me something to eat. Thirsty and you gave me a drink. A stranger and you invited me. Naked and you clothed me. Sick and you visited me in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? They're confused, right? So he answers. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, You did it to me. This is our main passage. Actually, let's go on and read right to the end of the chapter. Verse 41. And then he will say to those on his left. Those are the goats. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And they themselves also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, to the extent you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There are two important assertions that I'd like you to write down if you have a pen, pencil. Um, The two important assertions of this teaching is, number one, everybody is willing to help the king. You have to realize that from these responses. Every one of these people, whether they were on the right or the left, were willing to help the king. Now that is easy. <laughs> that's natural. When you have a person that's in authority over you or is in a place of power or position and you are next to that person and you see a clear need of that person, it is common sense for the people around to rally to the need. Okay? You have Parental figure. You have a boss. You have somebody in authority or power and they stumble. They drop something in front of you. Something happens. It is very evident that the people that are around them will come to the aid of that person of power. Right? Visible. In need. And because of their position of being up on top Above, those who are below seem to have always their eyes on the king. Just like we always look, if our, if our boss or our manager comes into that same room, we're always aware of where they're at. If we see a person that has clout or power over us, we're always got an eye there. And so everybody here was looking at the king, and when the king gives this... what? Come, you were blessed when I was hungry and thirsty and all of these things. And everybody is confused. We were looking at you the entire time and we never saw you in this condition. We never saw you in this condition. And so everybody was actually willing to help the king. The second assertion that we must note is this. Everybody was aware of the needy and afflicted. Everybody was aware of the needs of those who were afflicted. Everybody was aware of that here in this teaching. If you were on the right or on the left, they saw the people who were hungry, thirsty, naked, strangers in prison. They saw them. These are two very important things to realize about this teaching from the outset because it frames this entire teaching. When Jesus says this to those on the right and on the left, those two assertions make everything else make sense. His reply to those on the right, the righteous, and His reply to the accursed on the left. It has substance and validity because of these two truths. And I gave you this statement. Too often we live with our eyes open, but our hearts closed. And I think this is true of my life at many seasons. Right? And we all fall victim to this. That we've seen, but we haven't. We looked, but we never really saw what was really there. We can be living with the same person, completely aware of their schedule, but completely blind, actually, to what's happening in their hearts. We're looking, but not seeing. Our so hearts aren't receptive, sensitive, to those things. And I asked myself the question: What are the reasons why our hearts are not sensitive? You know, because if this is it, like I'm looking, but I'm really not seeing. If this is the case, why is it the case? And I thought first and foremost, it, limited exposure. You know, we travel the same roads and meet the same people. <laughs> You know, it's really because of, number one, isolated environments. You can fill in the blank there. And number two, because of autopilot travel. All right. What do I mean by isolated environments? Number one. All right? Isolated environments is I'm usually around the same number of people. You know, I can probably count on two hands the meaningful interactions that I've had with people in the span of one week. And that count of those names and people, it doesn't really fluctuate or change from week to week. And so those isolated environments of my home life, my private life, my my friend's life, my work life, I, I have the same group of people that I'm around all of the time. And those isolated environments limit my access to people that I don't friction with, interact with on a regular basis. And the older we get, the more entrenched we are in these environments. Think about it. When you were in grade school, you can go to a playground and just befriend somebody. like best friends after 30 minutes of sliding the slide together. It just happens that way. And you get through life into high school and college, grad school, career. And suddenly those environments get more defined and smaller. And I rarely travel outside of those environments. How true is that for you? And what do I mean by autopilot travel? How many of you get to work and you realize, "Oh, I didn't even realize how I drove here today. sometimes I'm like that, right? It's like I get on the same freeway and I'm on the same lane of the freeway. I try to merge at the same time, exit. It's just autopilot, right? And sometimes when you're going to a particular place that's relatively the same route, And you make a wrong turn because you're on autopilot that whenever you're on this route, you're going to this particular place. And that autopilot mode, actually, we very rarely veer away from these roads of travel. And because of that, we are not exposed to other things on a regular basis. When our environment is defined and our method and route of travel is defined, we limit our exposure to the things outside of that definition. That's a problem. Now, it's not a problem that we drive to work on autopilot. It's not a problem that we have a defined group of good and close friends. But it does become a problem that when this becomes my isolated world and I know nothing outside of this. And this is a very basic thing, just the exposure, right? Right? But what's another reason why I think we are not so sensitive or receptive in our hearts? And I think the second one is a bufferless life. A bufferless life. Let's say I have the exposure. Let's say I do meet new people and I travel to new places. And I'm meeting people outside of my defined environment. If that is the case, and I'm still not sensitive to needs, it's maybe because I don't have a buffer in my life. I have no time. And no capacity. My schedule is packed. Right? I'm just moving from one to the next and I might interface with somebody else along the way. But because I'm going someplace and I got a limited amount of time to get there, I have no time to actually have a meaningful interaction with this particular person. My schedule dictates that. I got no time. And let's say, by chance, I do have some time. Too often we have no capacity. And I mean that mentally and emotionally. That we are so full emotionally, mentally, that we don't have the room in our hearts to think about the needs of somebody else many times in our lives. And so if it's no time, it's because I'm I'm just stacked in my schedule, or it might be because of no capacity. But either way, I don't have a buffer and this buffer is important. That when you when you work with somebody that doesn't have a buffer, there just have you ever worked with somebody like that? Like you know, they get off just on the on the on 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 a whim. It's because they're so high strung. They don't have any room flexibility. They're so brittle. And we ought not live this way. But this, I think, is a valid reason of why we're not receptive to the needs and afflictions of other people. We don't have a buffer. If the first two don't apply, you have been exposed and you got some time and some space in your heart. Let's say that these two don't apply and you're still not receptive and sensitive to the needs of others. You're still not at a place where you serve and help those that are in need. I think you move into a more of a, a private space and reason for that. And I think the third is this. It's a wounded heart. Number one in your clarification subpoints is I've been hurt. Uh, that there is this need of self-preservation that becomes a priority because I'm hurt. Right? And secondly, that blank is I feel like a victim That those who have a victim mentality rarely are service oriented Rarely Because if I'm the victim I need to be given something to shore up I need to be given some sort of help Because I'm the victim That I'm the one in need And there are valid times and spaces in our lives where we are victimized with certain things. And I don't mean to to minimize that by any means. But what I'm saying is that if I perpetually live hurt and feel like I am a victim, I will not be at a space in life where I can look at somebody who's hungry, thirsty, naked, in prison, or in any other undesirable condition And actually serve them. Because my focus is always on me. And this gets into a personal space now. Into the inner world of my heart and my past. And if it's not a wounded heart, I think it's a a callous heart. Somehow I have been taught a pride-filled value system. Pride-filled. I've been taught classism. They get what they deserve. It was their choices that dictated this consequence for them. I have no pity for them. And it is this elite mentality of classism that has resulted in a hard heart. It's not necessarily because I have pain and I'm just so focused on the healing that I need. It's because actually I'm just prideful. And I think that they're at where they deserve to be. And there's no need for me to give what I have. I worked hard for this. And there's no need for me to spend the time and give you the resources that I have at my disposal because I'm entitled to that and you're not. You're where you are because of your choices, your decisions. It was your plight in life. And my heart has become hard to it. And I see these four as very valid reasons as to why people are so unreceptive and insensitive to the needs of other people. And I look at this list and I say to myself, it ought not be. But we ought not live this way, with our eyes open but our hearts closed. Something needs to change. And if we want something to change, we need to make a decision. A decision to combat these desensitizers. Because in many ways, these four are all desensitizers. Right? They desensitize me to need and affliction. The limited exposure desensitizes me. The bufferless life desensitizes me. The wounded heart and the callous heart, these definitely desensitize me. And so I need to regain a sensitivity. I need to get the nerves back. I need to be able to touch something and understand this is hot or cold. This hurts or it doesn't. It's smooth or rough. I need to be able to look out into society and look at a person in a condition, sitting in a place, and be sensitive in my heart so as to know how they sit. The condition of their heart. And if I'm busy, if I don't have exposure, if I'm thinking about myself, or if I'm prideful, I will not look in their hearts. And so I need to combat this, saying, I need to gain my sensitivity back. I need need to think about what area is affecting me the most. If I am not utilizing my life to serve those that are in the condition that Jesus was teaching, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the prisoner, the stranger, these ones that are sick. If I am not utilizing my life to actually help folks like these, what's the reason? This isn't an exhaustive list by any means. There probably are other reasons as to why we are insensitive. But I think this is somewhat of a broad list. That it encompasses a lot. And if you look at that and you say to yourself, I am not involving my life in actually serving the needy, which one is the problem? Which one is the main problem for me? Because you have to identify it. Is it because, wait, I don't feel like I'm prideful. I actually want to help, and when I see somebody, my heart does move for them. I don't necessarily consider myself a victim. I'm not always kind of saying, woe is me, and uh, putting my pain out there. I am exposed to them. I see them in the workspace. I see them at the entrance of the, of my company building door. And, and I know they're around, but maybe it's my my... Lack of time or capacity Maybe I You know what I'm just always rushing into the building And I see them But I don't have the time to stop Because I'm late I'm five minutes late And when I leave I gotta get home right away And maybe it's The lack of a buffer Or maybe I'm at a space where I do have some time Right I'm not pressed For all of these different responsibilities From every which direction And maybe it's just that I choose not to get in an environment where I actually interact and interface with them. Or maybe it gets into a space like this, the wounded heart or the callousness. And the first thing that I like to say is that we need to identify the culprit, at least the main one. That if it's the first, I need to intentionally try to travel new roads and meet new people. If it's the second, I need to intentionally free up spaces in my schedule and in my heart and have some time to actually think about the needs of people. Or maybe I need to ask God for healing, that I'm always playing the victim, that I always feel hurt, inward, trying to just find peace myself, not being able to think about the peace of other people. And I need to ask God for healing. Or maybe it's, I just need to get off my high horse. I need to stop giving the rationality that they get what they deserve. I worked hard for what I have. And there are ways to combat this. And we must do that first by identifying where the greatest issues lie. And a second kind of application, first would be identify. Identify what it is, the culprit. That's number one as an application. The second application would be, when you become aware of a need, just serve, just help. And it's tied to the third application that I want to give to you. Don't wait for the perfect time. I've seen this tendency in my life. Sometimes we can over-spiritualize something that's really, really practical. <laughs> you know, like we've got to take some time to pray and say, God, when the stars align and when it's that situation, then I'll do it, right? There's no perfect time for this. And what I would say is that once you identify the issue, combat the issue, learn how to be exposed, create some buffer, find healing, and humble yourself. Deal with this first, and after you have dealt with this, just travel those same roads, and you'll see it in a completely different way. And choose to act in small ways and in large, without waiting for the perfect moment the perfect amount of support, the right environment, just to start. Starting with one hungry person, one thirsty person, one visitation, one gift of goodwill. I would say just start moving. And my prayer for this message and this teaching segment in Matthew 25 as it pertains to our church is that we would be a, a church with a heart that is open. And I mean sensitive. That we wouldn't be the folks that are only looking at those who can throw us a bone. The king was in that position. The king had the robe and if I'm just show myself in a good light and He sees me in a good way. If I can just do something to serve Him, maybe He'll give me a promotion and give me a palace and give me a place. And too often our eyes are looking up at a person in a C-suite or a manager or somebody with something a high-profile position, and we're aware of what's happening there. And because our eyes are looking there, all around us, there are people that are hungry and needy and naked and all of this. This is where the focus is. Jesus is saying, I know you all saw me, but only a select number of you actually started to serve the other people that you were seeing as well that you were aware of. And my heart for our church is that we would be like those on His right, understanding the situation, but knowing that my love for the King cannot be disconnected from my service to the needy. To care for the least. This is a key word. Least is the key word in Jesus' teaching. It's not just care for them. The key operative word, descriptive word is least. The least of them. The least of them. If you want to personify it, it's the person that you don't want to be around. In the office, in society. It's the one that smells the way that you don't like people smelling. That looks in a way that you don't like looking upon a person. It's the least of them. It's the one that dies without the eyes of society looking at them. It is the one who gets brushed aside, pushed under. The least of them. The one that has no voice and is not seen. The least of them. And what that means for myself, for our church, is to find Search out and serve these spaces where they dwell. To instill worth and dignity. To teach God's Word. To provide tangible resources. To equip and edify. To encourage. These are all things that a church should and actually must do. And I pray that as we navigate the season that's in front of us, as a church as city chapel that for the least of us would be at the forefront of what we do when you consider your family and your extended family search out who are the least of my family when you go into the workspace ask yourself the question who around here is the least when you come into church ask yourself the question who is the least driving the roads, walking the parks or spaces that you are at, ask yourself the question, who is the least? Because as soon as you ask yourself that question, you begin to actually look with eyes that are open from your heart. And that is my prayer for me individually and for us collectively as a church. As our praise team comes back, I pray that this word would sit with you. I pray that it would remain in your heart and that you would choose to combat one of these areas that have arisen in your life, if, if any one of them. And that you would live your Christian life loving Jesus and serving the least. Amen? Amen.